electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. The one and only Kathy Wood, the widely followed technology investor on where she's looking for returns and what she and maybe everybody might have missed. We think we're in a recession and we think a really big problem out there is inventory. We're talking about the best managed companies in the world. If you're talking about Walmart and Target, they have problems. We think there are a lot more problems. And another key name in tech, Eric Schmidt, the former Google CEO turned venture capitalist on big tech's stock stumbles. The tech industry makes its own weather and we made too much of a storm. We got a little ahead of ourselves and it's a correction. Two top guests talking corrections, making money and crypto carnage. Well, can't leave that out. On this Tuesday, June 28th, 2022, a special Squawk Pod begins right after this. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick. Andrew Ross Sorkin is also here. Well, here, not physically, but here in spirit. He's at the Aspen Ideas Festival in Colorado. Joe, Joe is off today. Andrew, got a lot going on out there. How are you? Hey there. What, what a first two great. Today on the podcast, a special interview with Kathy Wood, the CEO and CIO of ARK Invest. Wood is a bold investor. She's a particular favorite of a newer, younger class of socially savvy investors for her deep belief in disruptive technologies. Her ARK Innovation ETF is a $9.5 billion fund featuring forward-looking companies working in artificial intelligence, self-driving cars, cryptocurrency, streaming. The rapid uptick in inflation this year and the Fed's recent hike of interest rates have taken the wind out of the sails a bit of high-growth tech companies. Big drops in longtime ARC crown jewel Tesla, as well as Roku and Coinbase, have dragged Wood's flagship fund down by more than half this year. It's below where it was at the beginning of the pandemic. 
Wood has also consistently been a buyer of free trading platform Robinhood. Adding to her position over several months this year, shares of Robinhood are down about 48% in 2022 due to shrinking revenue and declining users. And just yesterday, Bloomberg reported that Robinhood could be acquired by crypto platform FTX. And the rumor sent the Robinhood stock up 14%. But Kathy Wood herself may be on a fresh hot streak. Investors have poured money into the ARK Innovation Fund for eight straight days. That is the longest streak of inflows in more than a year. The fund peaked in February 2021. Now, Becky Quick starts things off with Kathy Wood. Kathy, thanks for being here. Let, let's talk about what you've seen, first of all, in terms of inflows. What have you seen and why do you think it's coming in? Yes, I, I think the inflows are happening because um, uh, our clients, we give away our research, and our clients have been averaging down. And I think they've been diversifying away from broad-based benchmarks like uh, the NASDAQ, particularly the NASDAQ 100. Because if you look inside of the NASDAQ 100 and you overlay our portfolios with them, you'll see only a 25% overlap, which from our point of view means that the NASDAQ 100 is uh, focused on uh, disruptive innovation only to the tune of 25%. And then you, you have uh, the rest of it that looks a lot like the S&P 500. There are stocks in there like truckers and rails and, and utilities that you won't find in our portfolio. We are dedicated completely to disruptive uh, innovation, transformational innovation. And I think the other thing is, and we keep beating the drum here, Innovation solves problems, and we have a lot of problems. We had a great uh, uh, rebound out of COVID. It was significant because, yes, innovation solved a lot of problems, the genomic revolution, the digitalization of everything. And uh, those aren't stopping. They are continuing. You know, they've been accelerated. And here we are with supply chain issues, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, food and energy prices. Again, innovation solves problems. Innovation can solve problems, but it doesn't always lead to strong market returns. And I think we've all seen that over the course of this year. Arc Innovation down by about 52%. You say you keep beating the drum, but have there been moments this year where you've lost some faith, at least in market returns for some of those stocks? No, actually what we've done and continue to do since February of 21 when we peaked is we've consolidated or concentrated our portfolios towards our highest conviction names. So we've gone from about 58 names in February of 21 to about 34 right now. Uh, so what you might say is those names, which didn't score as high in our six metric scoring system, all focused on innovation, um, we've we've moved aside, at least for now, uh, and moved towards our highest conviction names. And you've mentioned some of them, Zoom, Tesla, Roku. Yeah, let, let's focus on those three, because I think those are the three top holdings for the ARK Innovation Fund. I mean, if you look at some of those stocks, because I've just been digging through, kind of seeing what's happened with some of them. For Zoom, it went from $75 before the pandemic up to $550 for a peak. It's come back down to $122, but it's still at 29 times earnings. If you look at Tesla, it's still at 99 times earnings at $734. If you look at Roku, it's still at 94 times earnings from uh, for, at $94. And I, I, I just look through and think you could be 100% right about the future for all of these companies, what they are doing. 
but it doesn't necessarily mean that we get back to those those elevated multiple uh, multiples that the stock market was awarding these these companies for such a long time because there was so much excess liquidity out there. The Federal Reserve had a lot of money out there. It pushed investors into riskier assets. And now we've seen it come back down. The Federal Reserve is tightening funds. You may not see money supply like that out there again. So it may take years for some of these companies to grow into the, the stock multiples that they are the stock levels that they had seen at earlier times. What, what do you think about that thesis? What makes you think we'll get back to those higher multiple, multiple uh, multiples? Well, we don't need the higher multiples. So we have a five-year investment time horizon. Just to give you a sense for our flagship portfolio. Our enterprise value, so that's both uh, equity uh, market cap and debt, enterprise market value to EBITDA, so effectively cash flow, uh, is around 69 times. So uh, I know a lot of people say profitless tech. Uh, we are not profitless uh, on balance. We make the assumption that in five years, that number will be close to the market uh, multiple on that basis, which is roughly 16 times. So in our models, and we're starting to publish our models because we really want people to understand this. We just published Zoom. We published uh, Tesla. You can find them on GitHub. Experiment, change the variables we think will move the needle. And you, you can see how, um, how your assumptions might work into our five-year investment time horizon. So we assume a 20% annualized headwind from declining valuations. Uh, and so our return expectation, which is quite substantial right now, uh, is based uh, solely on revenue growth and rising profitability. Now, the narrative you just um, uh, you just gave, uh, many people cite when they're talking about uh, the tech and te telecom bubble and bust. And we've analyzed our portfolio relative to that as well, because there are memes around that. It's it's astonishing to us that Zoom's revenue pre, since the, uh, the coronavirus is up roughly sixfold and the stock is almost down to where it was pre-COVID. Same with Teladoc, up fourfold. Uh, Tesla, up threefold, although Tesla has, now that it's in the indexes, it has held up better than the rest of our portfolios. But that narrative in 2000, if I could just say, it would suggest that by now we would be seeing negative revenue growth uh, in, in our expectations for the next year and declining gross margins. We are seeing the opposite. We're seeing north of 25% revenue growth. If you're just using consensus estimates, it's 25. And our estimates are much higher because we're focused on exponential growth trajectories uh, being driven by powerful new technologies. Kathy, one broader question and then, and then a specific stock question. When you think though about the last year and you think about your approach, what is the lesson in it? Meaning, I know you have a North Star about specifically these, these stocks that you're talking about, but at some level you have to look around and I think your investors would want you to look around and say, okay, I was wrong. What was I wrong about? And if I was wrong, how am I going to change my approach in the future? So uh, if uh, we were wrong on one, uh, one thing, and that was inflation uh, being as sustained as it has been. Supply chain, I can't believe it's taken more than two years, and uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, of course, we couldn't have seen that. So inflation has been a bigger problem, but I think uh, that it has set us up for deflation. 
Uh, I, I've been listening to your program. I heard Ken Langone talk about being in recession now. Jeremy Siegel, same. How inevitable is that recession in your view? Are we in a recession right now? Never say never. I think we are in a recession right now. Well, Becky, I think we're actually in a mild recession because uh, I think we're having negative GDP growth in this first half. The data I'm looking at shows that that, that slowdown is going to continue into into the third quarter. We think we're in a recession and we think a really big problem out there is inventories, the likes of the, the increase uh, of which I've never seen this large in my career. And I've been around for 45 years. Uh, and we're talking about the best managed companies in the world. If you're talking about Walmart and Target, they know how to manage supply chains. So if they have problems, we think there are a lot more problems. And then the other thing that's going on is the consumer is railing against these price increases. Consumer sentiment, as measured by the University of Michigan, which we think is the best measure out there, uh, is down to record low levels, below 0809, below 80 and 81. I had just started my career and inflation and interest rates were in the double digits, 15, 20%. And consumer sentiment today is lower than it was back then. And most interestingly, in the last report, Many people think, oh, the, 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 the heavy spenders will, will uh, keep this thing going. Consumer sentiment of the, in the highest income groups is lower than in the, the lowest income groups. And those, the latter group is being you know, it, it, tormented by food and energy prices, which are really a regressive tax increase here to them. Fascinating. Separately, Kathy, I wanted to ask you about Robinhood, the speculation around Robinhood and potentially FTX uh, wanting to buy Robinhood. I know Robinhood is one of uh, the top 10 holdings in your fund. Coinbase is also in your top 10. It has implications if, in fact, FTX were to buy Robinhood on potentially putting pressure on Coinbase. How do you think about the three of them together? Well, okay, Robinhood is is not in our top 10. In the flagship, it's about a, a little more than a 2% position now. Uh, Coinbase is in the top 10 uh, because we really do believe, while we are in a massive slump right now, uh, we do believe that the three revolutions around crypto that we set forth in our Big Ideas 2022, and you can find that on our website, that they um, that they are underway and they and and they will not be stopped. The money revolution that's Bitcoin, first global digital private rules based monetary system. Uh, uh, DeFi, DeFi uh, really came of age uh, in twenty and twenty one. And uh, while the reach for yield went way too far, and the leverage. Uh, in some uh, protocols, way too far, and algorithmic stablecoins. Uh, as a, an economist myself, I didn't understand them. It makes sense that they're not going to exist. Uh, but DeFi itself is has taken off, and we're impressed at how robust the ecosystem has been. A lot of people expected the Terra Luna meltdown to cause a systemic uh, chain reaction, and we're seeing a little bit of that. Uh, but so far, so far, the Ethereum uh, uh, blockchain upon which DeFi is built has held up very well. And then the third revolution, which is the it's most in its infancy, is probably where the token uh, revolution was in 2017, and that's NFTs. But we do believe that digital property rights, which what which is what uh, NFTs represent, digital property rights 
are going to become incredibly important. I know, again, from my economic background, that property rights lift people and countries out of poverty. And we think that the opportunities that the uh, digital property rights will um, uh, will will allow creators uh, is creators and and many others. We're going to find all kinds of utility, and we can't even think of it right now. Just like we couldn't understand quite what DeFi was going to be when tokens first came around. So we're we're believers, and we think. The ecosystem, if it consolidates, that's not a bad thing. Uh, we do think that digital wallets are going to be uh, one of the most important outcomes here. Uh, they effectively bank branches in our pockets. And we are trying to figure out who are, who's going to be the digital wallet. It's going to be winner take most, or there'll be two or three of them. So is it, uh, is it Cash App? So Block is in our top 10. Is it Coinbase? Coinbase is in our top 10. These are going to be huge opportunities. Again, you'll, you can find them in Big Ideas 2022. Is it going to be Robinhood FTX? We don't know. All we know is that the opportunity is huge. Kathy, when you talk about digital property rights, all, it kind of takes me back to the potential problem for all the crypto customers in the event of a Coinbase bankruptcy, the idea that they would lose their funds with the, that liquidation too. I think what I was most surprised by watching all of the fallout from the Bitcoin collapse in recent weeks was just the idea of how many, how many of these companies were levered up? How many of these big investors were levered up with that? Didn't that come as a surprise to you? Because No, it didn't. It didn't come as a surprise. This, uh, there's a cleansing process. We're going to see it regularly. This is very early on in these technologies. And, you know, we were looking, you can see in the traditional asset uh, management world, the reach for yield there. You know, we're wondering if you're looking at uh, spreads gapping out in the high yield market, um, you're looking at credit default swaps in, in the market. If you use the MARKIT metric, we're now above where we were in fourth quarter of 18, which was a terrible period for the stock market moving into COVID territory. And this is true for money center banks as well. We wonder, uh, we wonder just as much, what did the reach for yield do in the traditional markets that is now being flagged by credit default swaps? And it could be associated with L, uh, you know, the leveraged uh, 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 collateralized loan obligations associated with private equity well, and real estate. Risk management in general to have Okay, yes. you can point to it in, in traditional markets. You can point to it here. Absolutely. When you're down yes. more than 50%, you have to start thinking about risk management. And, and maybe you're in this for five years. Maybe you're in this as a long-term investor. But even so, if you invested at the pre-pandemic levels, you're still below water three years later. That, that starts yes, to I get a little nerve-wracking. You make it up most, in the next so, two years. So your, your uh, comment suggests that, that we are a generalist portfolio manager making asset allocation decisions. The most important thing we need to do is stick to our knitting. The worst thing that could happen is style drift. When, when people invest in ARC, they know they're getting truly disruptive, transformative innovation. That's what we offer. And we don't pretend to offer anything else. So when you say risk management, what we do, as I mentioned earlier, is we concentrate our portfolio towards our highest conviction names. That means we are, with the weight of evidence moving us, uh, uh, we are uh, 
in some measure, from our point of view, exercising risk control. Kathy, thank you very much. Always Thanks, good Becky. To see you. Thanks, good Andrew. To see you. Always. Thank you. Bye. Cheese will be next. Next, on Squawk Pod, former Google CEO Eric Schmidt's advice for the investors weathering their first market downturn. And the problem is a lot of these people are young and they've never been through a cycle. So welcome, you get another shot in a couple of years at all your greatness. Tech's correction and an innovator's outlook right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Our final guest from the Aspen Ideas Festival this morning is tech industry veteran. Ah, we have him here this morning <laughs> to talk about so much. Eric Schmidt is here, uh, former CEO of Google, of course, and doing so much in so many other spaces as a philanthropist. He's now the founder of Schmidt Futures. And we should mention that NBC Universal News Group is a media partner of the Aspen Ideas Festival. Eric, it's great to have you here. Thank you again. So I'm going to talk about Here's what I just want to, we've been talking about markets all morning. You, you heard what Jim just had to say. Uh, before that, uh, we had the president of the New York Fed. What do you, you've been through a lot of rodeos, especially in the Valley in terms of valuations and what's happening. What do you think is happening? Where do you think we are? You know, the tech industry makes its own weather and we made too much of a storm. We got a little ahead of ourselves and it's a correction. Uh, but we, we have our own logic. If our products work, we boom and our next generations of products are gonna work. So we'll do fine. Um, the big issue is all these employees who had stock options that are now worthless. They gotta right. deal with that. But aside from that, it'll be fine. It's gonna be fun. But I mean, are, there's gonna be, is this gonna be carnage? I mean, is this, is this no. 2001? What no. is this no. to you? No, there's in, immense capital. There's enormous amounts of ideas. There's lots of startups getting started. I've been in funding them uh, along with all, all sorts of other people. These cycles go on and on and on. And the problem is a lot of these people are young and they've never been through a cycle. So welcome, you get another shot in a couple of years at all your greatness. But is this the opportunity then to invest? In, is, this, is this one of those moments where you say, okay, actually things are on sale? This year, mm-hmm. this is gonna be a good year. A good year for things that are on sale? Yes. A terrible, a terrible year if you had to sell at this yes, price. Absolutely. Again, remember that tech trades like options, right? So the volatility is higher, but the option value is enormous. Um, let's also talk about uh, what's happening in G7 meeting. Yeah. Uh, you spend a lot of time thinking about China uh, G7 thinking a lot about China and what they should be saying uh, to China about, quote, non-market practices. What do, what do you well, think? Look, there, there's lots of things that China does that we don't like. The way they run their business, the way they treat their people, certainly the, tr- the way they treat Uyghurs and so forth and so on. It's all terrible. We need to figure out a way to win against product competitiveness with China. I mean platforms. 
I don't want to be using Chinese platform technologies, Chinese chips, Chinese networks, and so forth. I want American or Western stuff in that. I don't want our communications, our society, intermediated by them. Which brings us to the CHIPS Act. Exactly. Um, which, uh, which we passed Everybody says ago. we want, and right. we've passed, and yet we don't have. Look, here's the biggest challenge facing America in the long term, which is the question of competitiveness with China. They want to dominate all of the key industries of economic growth of America. AI, synthetic biology, new energy, I can go on. They want to do all of that. We passed a law more than a year and a half ago. It's also through, commission, through the, the House, and now we can't get it through, through to uh, the necessary steps to get it passed. It's crazy. What do you think is happening? Why? I think it's just sclerosis in the government because people are focused on other things. Compared to all the other crazy things the government does, this thing is bipartisan. It's important for American competitiveness. And let me tell you why. All of a sudden, we're having uh, a good thing the Trump administration did is they got Samsung and TSMC to build chips in the U.S. It's more expensive to build chips in the U.S. In, in the last 30 years, 36 mega factories were built in China 24 in the rest of the world, zero in America, because our cost of construction is too high. You're going to have to subsidize that. This is straightforward economics. For national security, we need to pay right. a little extra to have control over this essential part of are, the supply chain. Are you chain. a believer that ultimately, and I don't know what you think the timeline is, that China does take over Taiwan, and that's what, that's what is the pressure point here? Uh, my, my, I'm not an expert in this. I think it's going to be a while, and that's my own opinion, because... The issues of the integration of China and the U.S., they can't risk a, a divorce from the U.S. over the U.S. dollar, which is right. an untold story about this relationship. But nevertheless, it's important that America have Western access to the key technologies of, of the technology re revolution, which is the semiconductors. Right. We made a decision in the 90s to get out of those businesses, even though we invented every one of them, largely because of cost. I have a personal question for you. You, you were a backer, financial backer, not involved day to day with the American Frontiers Fund. Um, and there was a, a couple of recent pieces about that fund, which aims, by the way, to help the U.S. government, help the U.S. become stronger and more competitive. Invariably, it seems like with almost anything, and you've been involved in a, a lot of different not-for-profit projects uh, similar to this, there's always a, criti a criticism, a critique uh, around um, billionaires in power, what the philanthropy is about, uh, whether it's to advance their own uh, agenda or their own uh, goods, how close people are to the White House and to politics. How do you think about that? You know, so it's easy to criticize everything because everyone's in a bad mood these days. I blame social media, which is my own opinion. But the fact of the matter is there's a long tradition of philanthropic wealth being used to help the country. It's true for human rights. It's true for innovation. It's true for science and so forth. I wanted to focus on the science side. If you look at America, the problem is we invented all of this stuff and I want us to keep right. leading, right? And the way to do that is to take philanthropic money and innovation and government policy and the great work that we're doing in the greatest universities in the world and put it together. That's what I want to do. But, but what do you make of this idea that people like you and others are either too close to certain politicians, to the White House, to the this, to the that. Well, it, it, I have not been to the Biden White House uh, at all. I spent a fair amount of time with the Trump White House, so that, I guess that shows you how influential I am. The important point here is you've got to work with the government and you've right. got to help them do the right thing. Philanthropists are by law not allowed to commingle financial interests. Um, I have a social leadership question, actually, that I'm curious uh, if you'd weigh on, in on. A lot of businesses are now trying to grapple, actually, with big social issues in the wake of this road decision and so many other things. 
Google was one of the early companies um, that had a more egalitarian approach. Employees were allowed to speak up. How do you think leaders should deal with this? And also, how should they deal with it online? You have the Elon Musks of the world who are very outspoken now on Twitter and places like that. Well, Elon is a unique country in his own, in his own right, right? He is a different sort of animal compared to everybody else in this space and uniquely skilled to, to be. And, and doing it right or doing it wrong? Uh, well, I, I would never bet against Elon, but he is a special case. I don't think you should generalize from him. Uh, almost all of the companies have become far more conservative in their leadership. Right. Uh, I was really proud to be out front on all the issues that, uh, that we did when I was CEO. Larry and Sergey and I all agreed right. on all of these issues. My guess is the next generation of companies are going to be a little less out front because of the combination of abuse from employees, the press, and society around them. Uh, and then finally, I wanted to get your thoughts on crypto and Web3, if you will, especially given the fact that valuations, the prices, of, uh, especially of crypto, have come down, how that changes or doesn't well, change the it, equation. It, and I know Web3 may be considered a different thing than crypto. I know we, we sort of converge well, these well, things. Uh, again, these are marketing terms. But if you assume that, that Web3 was 10 times overhyped and it's corrected five times, it's got some more to go. It's got some more to go. <laughs> and therefore? Look. The Web3 vision is correct. The technology to make it happen needs to get built. Here's an example. Ethereum goes to crazy prices with a right. million transactions a day. That's incredibly slow. It needs to get be rebuilt. Okay, Eric Schmidt, thank you for being thank with you. us. Great to see you. Well, I hope to see you again very, very soon. And thanks for listening to Squawk Pod. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Every weekday morning on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen. And if you like what you hear, please let us know. Tweet us at Squawk CNBC or rate and review Squawk Pod right on Apple Podcasts. Have a great day. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. FedEx.